AOC declares herself the boss. Dianne Feinstein destroys small children and the Oscars won't stop the politics. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. So I know you're asking, Ben, how much of the Oscars did you watch? The answer is zero minutes live, because why would I waste my life like that? And if you did, well, I'm sorry to say that those are going to be minutes you wish you had back on your deathbed. But I'll tell you what you don't wish. You don't wish that you didn't have gold. I mean, everyone needs gold, because in 2008, the U.S. national debt was $10 trillion. Today, the debt is nearly $22 trillion. It is rising like a hockey stick. If you don't think that we are sitting on a house of cards, you're living with your head in the sand. But since you're listening to my podcast, you are clearly smarter than the average American. So what is your plan? Can you afford another hit to your retirement, like the last downturn when the S&P dropped 50%? Instead, hedge against inflation and hedge against uncertainty and instability with some precious metals. Gold is a safe haven against uncertainty. My savings plan is diversified and yours should be as well. The company I trust with precious metal purchases, Birch Gold Group. And right now, thanks to a little-known IRS tax law, you can even move your IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver. It's perfect for people who want to protect their hard-earned retirement savings from any future geopolitical uncertainty. Look back historically. When the bottom falls out of everything else, gold does tend to safeguard savings. Birch Gold Group has thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Contact Birch Gold Group. Get a free information kit on physical precious metals. See if diversifying into gold and silver makes sense for you. Again, you can get that comprehensive 16-page kit. All you have to do is text Ben to 474747. Text my name, Ben, to 474747 to get that comprehensive 16-page kit. Complimentary. Ben to 474747. All righty. So we'll get into the Oscars in a little bit. Suffice it to say, I was not supremely surprised by any of the choices except for Bohemian Rhapsody for best editing. Clever, guys. Solid joke. Solid joke, everyone. Well done. I appreciate the sense of humor. But we'll get to the Oscars and its usual display of stupidity and over-the-top over-the-top flashes of wealth that AOC and Bernie will have nothing to say about. In any case, Let's begin with the Green New Deal. So over the weekend, something amusing happened. The amusing thing was that AOC basically let spill, unfortunately, what too many folks on the left actually think about the uses of government power. Now, remember, AOC came into Congress as a fresh face. You remember, so fresh, so face, incredible freshness as well as faceness. And when she joined, she was the voice of the people. She was the tribune of the people. She was going to be the new voice of an underclass that had been underrepresented for so long. She was certainly not going to be someone who tried to centralize power in herself. She was someone who only stood with the population. She's the person who stood with the downtrodden. Well, she spoke over the weekend at the New York Hall of Science. And there she suggested that she's put forward a path in the Green New Deal. And if you don't have a better path in the Green New Deal, well, then she should become dictator, basically. (laughs) Here's what AOC had to say. I just introduced Green New Deal two weeks ago, and it's creating all of this conversation. Why? Because no one else has even tried. Because no one else has even tried. So people are like, oh, it's unrealistic. Oh, it's vague. Oh, it doesn't address this little minute thing. And I'm like, you try. (laughs) You do it. Because you're not. Because you're not. So until you do it, I'm the boss. How about that? Okay, um, number one, I know a person who says that he's the boss a lot. It's my two-year-old son. He says it a lot. He says, I'm the boss. He is not the boss, in point of fact. He is a two-year-old. Also, I love when she says things like, people have questions like, over this little minute detail or that little minute detail. No, no. We have some, we have some questions about, you know, the destruction of the American economy, the slaughtering of all the cows, the end of air travel, perhaps, the retrofitting or destruction of every building in the United States. 
If you want to classify those as minor questions, I'm sure you could do that. I mean, I guess that's a thing. Also, I will note that it's sort of hilarious when she's like, until I got here, nobody ever heard of the environment. Until I was sitting here, nobody had ever heard of this thing called the Earth. It's a big ball. It spins in space. And it's got an environment on it. And I'm the only person who ever said anything. So if you haven't said anything about the environment, well, then I'm the boss now. And Ed Markey, the senator in, uh, from Massachusetts who co-sponsored the Green New Deal, is sitting there like, uh, what? Like, I've been here longer than you, lady. You got here five seconds ago. Is she really unaware that the Democrats have been pushing cap and trade for legitimately like a dozen years at this point? But I guess she is because she is not a particularly smart person. People were making this comparison over the weekend. It seems kind of fitting. AOC is basically the cash me outside girl from Dr. Phil. You do it. Because you're not. Because you're not. So until you do it, I'm the boss. That's How right. about that? You heard it here. And all these <laughs> laughing like so funny. She's talking about the audience that they're laughing at her. Did, did you say the the, the <laughs> are laughing? Yep. So the audience are a bunch of <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Catch me outside. How about that? Huh? Catch me outside. How about that? Well... I guess that we have a new congressperson. So that's exciting. Cash me outside, girl, our future president. When she's president in 2060, she will probably end global warming. I mean, the entire world will, will explode because she'll start a nuclear war or something. But that's, that's very exciting stuff. Now, what, what's kind of amazing about this is that what you get from AOC is that she's, number one, very irritated by criticism. Anybody who criticizes anything she ever says, she cannot take. And number two, she really wants the power. <laughs> For a lady who, again, came into Congress on the wave of this populist uprising, she really wants a lot of power. I'm the boss. And if you don't agree with me, well, then I'm the boss. She, she said online sort of the same thing. She tweeted out, well, if you haven't come up with a more bold, ambitious plan than I have, then I guess I'm the boss now. And I tweeted back, I may, listen to last Friday's show. I gave you a bold, ambitious plan. It was to bomb China and India and destroy all of their coal facilities. It's bold. Admittedly, not, not the best plan, but better than yours because it would at least stop climate change, presumably. So I guess I'm the boss now. Now, let's all be real. We all know who the real boss is. It's Tony Danza. But if we... But <laughs> all of this is so insane. I, I love Nancy Pelosi just has to be sitting with her head in her hands every day over the fact that this person has somehow grabbed the headlines from her. And Nancy Pelosi, by the way, is Bane in, in Dark Knight Rises. She's sitting there going, do you fear in control to, to AOC? Because AOC actually has no control. AOC actually has no power. Nancy Pelosi is in charge of all the things. AOC brought up her Green New Deal. It didn't even get a vote in the House, which is controlled by the Democrats. So, no, she is not the boss. But it does demonstrate full scale how, for people like AOC, power is absolutely intoxicating, incredibly intoxicating. And one of the beautiful things about power means you never have to answer serious questions. So, there's a piece in the New York Post about AOC today talking about the fact that it's very possible that she does not even live in her neighborhood. The, the one that she suggests she lives in, where she's a member of the people, where she actually lives right now is in the Navy Yard in Washington, D.C., one of the most upscale places in Washington, D.C., paid for, by the way, because of a public-private project to build Washington National's Park, the kind of project that she didn't like with Amazon. In any case, the New York Post has a long piece saying that they were trying to figure out exactly where she lives in New York. Like, does she even live in her own district? And her people refuse to answer where she lives. She says for safety reasons, but they're not asking for her home address. All they are asking is, does she live in the district she says she lives in? And they won't answer the question. 
The Post emailed Ocasio-Cortez's spokesman Corbin Trent four times with specific questions, which were all ignored. On Saturday, the Post reached Corbin by phone. We will not be commenting, he said. Among the queries he refused to answer, where does the Congresswoman live? On Saturday night, a staffer promised a Post reporter that Ocasio-Cortez would talk to him after speaking event in Corona. During the event, two staffers were seen reading an early edition of this story on their phones. Come downstairs. I have to take a picture quick. The congresswoman then told the reporter after the event, instructing him to wait for her. 20 minutes later, she ducked out a back door, jumped into a chauffeured SUV and zoomed off. Zoop, gone. But don't worry, she's the boss. Ocasio-Cortez was in New York City last weekend and this weekend with appearances in Queens on both Saturdays, yet she was not seen coming or going from her park Chester pad either day. Her apartment's next door neighbor said she had never seen Ocasio-Cortez. <laughs> Another neighbor who's lived down the hall from the congresswoman's apartment for the last 40 years, said she'd never seen her or her boyfriend, Riley Roberts, who has claimed the address is his own since last spring. I would have remembered, said the neighbor when shown a photograph of AOC. Workers at Jerry's Pizzeria, less than a block from her building, and at the local grocery store, said she had never patronized their businesses. And a server at a nearby taqueria said the congresswoman had only come in to be filmed by news crews. A postal worker who delivers mail to the building said that in the last 10 years, he has only seen Ocasio-Cortez intermittently and that several months worth of mail regularly accumulates in the mailbox before anyone bothers to collect it. The worker said that Ocasio-Cortez and Roberts were the only ones getting mail at the address. He said just because their names are on the box doesn't mean they live there. And in 2017, when Ocasio-Cortez first filed paperwork to become a congressional candidate, she didn't even know what district she lived in, mistakenly declaring plans to run for neighboring District 15 before correcting the, the error Days later, her new digs over in the Navy Yard feature gold-plated amenities like a rooftop infinity pool, a cycling studio with a dozen pricey Pelotons, men's and women's saunas, a golf simulation lounge, but no affordable units for low-income residents in spite of a local law that requires them, the news site reported, that'd be Washington Examiner, reported. So, so much for all of this. Apparently, once again, Ocasio-Cortez not being clear about her own personal behavior, but the good news is she's the boss. Now, What's hilarious about all of this is what makes her the boss is that she says catastrophic things on a regular basis. I mean, stuff that is just steeped in catastrophic thinking. So, for example, AOC talks about climate change. And the way she talks about climate change is the same way a small child would talk about climate change. I say the same way a small child talks about climate change because in just a few minutes, I'm going to play you audio of a small child talking about climate change. And it's indistinguishable from AOC. Indistinguishable except for the timber of the voice. So AOC said over the weekend that Republicans won't have to deal with climate change because, after all, they'll all be dead, which is weird because she's like six years younger than I am. And I speak regularly to thousands of Republicans who are younger than she is. But apparently all the Republicans will be dead, so they won't have to deal with climate change. She will have to deal with climate change. I'm 29, and I know that this is going to be the world that we're going to have to deal with that we're going to have to live in. And with all due respect to my colleagues, but especially in like the Republican Party, it's like, you're not going to have to live with this problem. You're just, I'm sorry. I.e., you're like, too old. I mean, you're no, but, but seriously. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are 1,000 years old. The average Democratic leader is older than the average Republican leader. So she's just saying nonsense at this point. But again, all of this is catastrophic nonsense. And you know, Rahm Emanuel, who is chief of staff for Barack Obama, once said, never let a good crisis go to waste. So now Democrats are manufacturing massive crises, massive, cri like world shaking, end of world, all humans will die crises so that they can say, I'm the boss. That's really what this is about. AOC is merely a miniature of what her party is. If we pretend that the problem 
is so looming and so big and so disastrous, but not disastrous enough for us to do anything practical like, you know, build nuclear power plants, but so big and so disastrous that we have to wreck the entire economy on the shoals of this problem. Well, then I guess the, you, you'll have to give us all the power. I mean, that makes me the boss, doesn't it? In a second, we'll get to that. That wasn't these were not even her dumbest statements of the weekend. Wait until you hear what else she had to say about the Green New Deal. First, let's talk about stamps.com. No one really has time to go to the post office. You're busy. Who has time for the traffic, parking, lugging all your mail and packages? It's a real hassle, which is why you need Stamps.com. It's one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts you cannot even get at the post office. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service directly to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages per day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. You can simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage, 24-7, any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. And with Stamps.com, you get five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. It saves you time and money, which is why I personally use Stamps.com to make sure that I don't have to schlep my stuff down to the post office and to make sure that I'm saving money on my postage. Right now, my listeners get a special offer. It includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Shapiro. That's Stamps.com. Enter Shapiro to make sure that you get that special deal. Four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale, an awesome trial. Go check it out. Stamps.com. Click on the mic at the top of the homepage. Type in Shapiro. All right, so AOC is so catastrophic in her thinking because the bigger the catastrophe, the more government control we need. This is how things match up. Why do you think the Democrats like talking about World War II? Because you know what happened during World War II? A vast government seizure of pretty much everything in the United States. Goods were rationed. Prices were controlled. Wages were controlled. All the men were put in barracks and given rations. If this was your ideal for how to build an economy, I would say that you've got some real thinking to do about liberty and freedom. But the bigger you can make the catastrophe, the more power you are able to seize. Now, it's amazing because Democrats will suggest that President Trump is doing this with the border. They'll say that he's manufacturing a crisis at the border and therefore he is seizing executive power in order to build a wall. That is nothing compared to what Democrats are trying to do with the Green New Deal and the issue of climate change. In just a second... I'm going to show you what AOC had to say about this because it's really insane. Again, you have to maximize the damage climate change is going to do and the, ex- and, and the extremity of, of how bad things are going to get and how quickly they're going to get in order so that you can grab power in the here and now. So here is AOC suggesting that we will all die, literally we'll all die, if we don't pass her Green New Deal. We're screwed on climate. Like, I'm sorry to break it to you. If we do nothing, there is no hope. There is a global threat to the planet. A global threat. And at this point, we don't even have to prove it. Just walk outside in winter in a lot of places and it's either way worse than you're used to or way warmer than you're used to. Um, Hurricanes, storms, wildfires, we are dying now. We are dying now? What, what world is she living in? Just a question. D- does she know any history at all? The average life expectancy in the United States is 80 years old. 80. People over the centuries would have killed to have that life expectancy. Everyone was dying at like 35, 150 years ago. What is she even talking about? She's sitting in, a, she's sitting in like a top-notch apartment in Washington, D.C., slicing squash and putting it in a blender on Instagram and talking about how we're all going to die and the world is over and and you don't even have to provide evidence. All you have to do is walk outside. 
Really, you seem pretty comfortable there, AOC. It seems like you're kind of living through this thing. I mean, congr- what? Good for you. Such bravery, such toughness, living through this thing while Instagramming here, instant pot cooking, unbelievable. I mean, who, the coolness under fire. Really, that's what's truly impressive, is that she knows if she walked outside, she'd be dead in a second because of the freezing cold temperatures or because of the massive heat wave, thanks to global warming that is happening in the here and now. So bad that she says she does not even have to prove that it's going to happen in the future or that her plans are going to do anything to mitigate it. That's how bad it is, because people are dying. It's all over. Everybody freak out. Oh, and by the way, here's my great recipe for a squash kugel. It's just disingenuous. It's obviously disingenuous. It is clearly and obviously disingenuous. And then it gets even better. She says, not only are we all going to die, maybe we shouldn't have kids. Well, listen, AOC, if you want to be the first to start with this, I am fine with that. Frankly, I don't think that if you're going to indoctrinate your kids into believing that they're on the verge of their doom, then please don't. Like, please don't. Uh, All these people, uh, I'm not going to have kids because the environment is so scary out there. Again, now is a better time to live than any time in human history. Life expectancy around the world has never been higher. Poverty rates have never been lower. What are you even talking about? What are you saying? But here's AOC encouraging young people not to have babies because it's hot outside or something. There's scientific consensus that the lives of children are going to be very difficult. And it does lead, I think, young people to have a legitimate question, you know, should, is it okay to still have children? And I mean, not just financially, because people are graduating with 20, 30, $100,000 worth of student loan debt. And so they can't even afford to have kids in a house, but also just this basic moral question, like what do we do? And, And even if you don't have kids, There are still children here in the world, and we have a moral obligation to them uh, to leave a better world for them. Is it okay to still have children? Okay, if you're taking your moral advice on life from a 29-year-old bartender turned congresswoman who is not married and doesn't have kids, if that's that's where you're going to get your moral advice, all you, man, go for it. Seriously. I hope you do. I hope you do. If you're the kind of person who thinks this is intelligent commentary from AOC, then I hope you live out all of her prescriptions and don't have kids. Because what the hell? It's just, it's inane. It's inane nonsense. But it's inane nonsense that is directed at full-scale alarmism so that she can grab more power. That's all this is about. It's all it was always about. Now, what's hilarious about this is I said earlier that she speaks like a small child on these issues. I said that advisedly. When I say she speaks like a small child, I mean literally like a small child. My favorite video of the last few days, there are a bunch of kids from something called the Sunrise Movement. And they've been indoctrinated by their teachers and by their parents to believe that they are on the verge of their own death which they are not, okay? Again, the United States is the safest, most prosperous, healthiest country that has ever been, that has ever been. The only possible exceptions are in Western Europe, which we prop up with our economy. And yet, these kids are going to Dianne Feinstein's office and trying to lecture her about climate change. Now, I tweeted out this clip. If this doesn't make you love Dianne Feinstein, I don't know it will. I've I've despised Dianne Feinstein as my senator for years. Like, she, I don't know her as a lady. Maybe she's a nice lady. I don't know. But as a senator, I've thought she's terrible for years and for literally my entire life because she's been a senator since I was like eight years old in the state of California. And I'm now 35. So she's been around for a long time in the state of California. But with all of that said, watch how she, an adult, deals with children on climate change. And it's pretty fantastic. We are trying to ask you to vote yes on the Green New Deal. Oh, please. Okay, I'll tell you what. 
We have our own Green New Deal. Some scientists have said that we have 12 years to turn this around. Well, it's not going to get turned around in 10 years. What we can do Senator, if this doesn't get turned around in 10 years, you're looking at the faces of the people who are going to be living with these consequences. The government is supposed to be for the people and by the people and all the You know what's interesting about this group is I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that. Yes! Thank you, an adult. Okay, I don't even agree with Diane Feinstein on policy, but thank you for the love of God. And now please, somebody go say that to AOC. Somebody go say, listen, I'm an adult. I've been doing this for a while. Sit down. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, just stop, just stop. Say whatever you want. You know, do your stupid Instagram vegetarian chili cooking. Do, do whatever you want. But if you are going to pretend that you're the boss, come the hell on. So good on Diane Feinstein owning the small children with the facts and logic. Now, if she will only turn to the small children within her own party, the mental, the, the mental derelicts inside her own party, who apparently have no compunction about saying completely factless things, who are not interested in real solutions, who simply want to primp and pose so that they can get on the covers of magazines and then take more power for themselves so that they can be the boss... Okay, then Dianne Feinstein, step in. Nancy Pelosi, step in. Honest to goodness, you want to make sure your party doesn't collapse into the dust because I, I don't think most Americans resonate to this. At some point, you're going to have to tell the children to shut up. At some point, you're going to have to tell the children that they don't know what they are talking about. More that they don't know what they're talking about than to shut up. Let them, honestly, from a Republican point of view, from a conservative point of view, keep talking. Like, speak amongst yourselves and in front of the cameras. Please do this. Meanwhile, we're going to get to Kamala Harris, the Democratic presumed front runner, maybe, in just one second. First, let's talk about something we can all agree on, saving money. We can all agree that getting the best deal is important when shopping online. You've probably heard me talk about Honey, the amazing free browser extension that automatically helps me save money on all my favorite sites. But I would not be doing my job if I didn't tell you about how Honey makes even Amazon better. How so, you ask? Well, let me explain. With millions of sellers on Amazon selling the same product, how do you know you're really getting the best price? You don't unless you use Honey. As you shop on Amazon, Honey's best price finder automatically compares the prices of millions of sellers that carry the item you want. Honey even factors in shipping, sales tax, and Amazon Prime status to make sure that you are getting the lowest total price. I use Honey. I have it running in the background of my computer so that I can get the best deals whenever I shop at Amazon. I'm a huge Amazon customer. Just the other day, we saved significant buku dollars on a set of weights that I bought for myself and my wife because we're finally getting into the fitness. So go check it out right now at Honey. It's joinhoney.com slash Ben. Next time you're shopping on Amazon, treat yourself to that free upgrade. Add Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Ben. That is joinhoney.com slash Ben. Honey is the smart shopping assistant that helps you save time and money. Joinhoney.com slash Ben. All right, meanwhile, as the Democratic Party slides ever to the left, Kamala Harris has tried to leap to the front of the pack. Now, in all of the polls, she is not quite doing that. She has some momentum. She has more momentum than, say, Elizabeth Warren, who is, I guess, fading out into the colors of the wind. But Kamala Harris is still trailing Bernie Sanders because Bernie Sanders has what all the young people are looking for, a bag full of crazy and some old people charm. Kamala Harris is trying the intersectional approach. So Kamala Harris basically is taking the Oscars approach to politics. So I knew what was gonna, that Green Book was going to win last night at the Oscars. How did I know that Green Book was going to win last night at the Oscars? Because I knew that Shape of Water was probably going to win the year before. Why did I know that? Because I have a very simple algorithm that I use for the Oscars. The simple algorithm that I use for the Oscars is, is simply, I, I just look at the PC metric on particular 
and the intersectional metric on particular movies. So last night, nominated for Oscars in, in the Best Picture categories were Bohemian Rhapsody, a movie about a gay guy, The Favorite, a movie about an old lesbian, Black Panther, a movie about black folks, Black Klansman, a movie about black folks, Vice, a movie about Dick Cheney, which was going to go nowhere, A Star is Born, a movie about straight white people going nowhere, Roma, a story about a Latina woman, and Green Book, a story about a black gay guy. Obvious what's going to win, right? I mean, so Kamala Harris is basically doing the same thing, but in the 2020 Democratic primaries. She's basically saying, listen, there's, there's a lot of women in this primary, and there's some black people in this primary, but do you have a black woman in this primary? And if the answer is no, well, honey, I got an answer for you right here. That's Kamala Harris's campaign. And she is basically saying it out loud. That's what's so astonishing. So she, she came out yesterday and she says, you know, people keep cl- complaining about this identity politics stuff. She's referring to Bernie because Bernie has said that identity politics is, is a bad idea generally, that we should judge candidates based on their merits, not based on their race or their sex. Kamala Harris has to fight back against that because that's basically the only reason she is in the race. She's a first term senator from California. She has not done a thing, anything. The only reason anyone is discussing her over, say, even Amy Klobuchar is because Kamala Harris happens to be a black woman. So she has to somehow fight back on the idea that identity politics is bad. So here she is explaining identity politics is actually good. This term identity politics, people will use that term. It's like people used to talk about the race card. Right. And they'll bring this term up when you talk about issues that are about race, about sexual orientation, about religion, um, they'll bring it up when we're talking about civil rights issues as a way to marginalize the issue, as a way to, frankly, try to silence you or shut you up. Okay, I love this so much because what identity politics itself is is a way to silence and shut up. And so now if you say identity politics is bad, then you are the person shutting people up. Here's why identity politics shuts people up. The way identity politics works is it it makes an essential claim. The essential claim that it makes is that you and I cannot understand each other if we are members of different racial groups or different ethnic groups or different sexual groups. That if I am a white man, I can therefore not understand what you, a black woman, are saying, Kamala Harris. There's no meeting of the minds. There's no actual logic that allows us to speak beyond our own personal identity. And thus, if you say something and I say, listen, that's wrong, you say, listen, that's my truth and you don't have the capacity to challenge my truth, all I can do is appeal to my own in-group and if you don't respect that my in-group has authority on this issue, then you are not respecting identity politics. You're not respecting my identity. In fact, if you disagree with my politics, then you are disagreeing with my identity. It makes you bad. You're a racist. This is how you get from, I disagree with Kamala Harris to I'm a racist, right? That's how you get from one to the other. The idea being that Kamala Harris's politics are rooted in her identity. If I disagree with her politics, I therefore don't understand or I'm afraid of her identity and therefore I've attacked her identity and therefore I am discriminating against her simply by virtue of disagreeing. Identity politics is a way of destroying common conversation. That's what it is. Western civilization was built on the notion that we are all individuals freely capable of using our reason to communicate with one another. All of liberal republicanism is based on this. I mean, like a liberal republic, a free republic, all of it is based on the idea that we are able to overcome our own membership in in particular groups and speak to each other as individuals capable of using human reason. Identity politics cuts directly against that. But Kamala Harris wants to be able to run on the basis of identity politics. So now she says that if I call out her identity politics, if, for example, I say that she's pandering on particular issues because she's trying to pander to particular political groups that she thinks will benefit her when she says that she's for for example, slavery reparations, 
when I say that this is obviously a move to try and gain black votes in the Democratic primaries in 2020, because that's the only group in America that overwhelmingly supports slavery reparations. And so that is an aspect of her invoking politics of identity in order to garner certain votes back. If I say that, then that's me attempting to shut her up. Now, that's silly because I'm more than willing to have a conversation about the relative merits and demerits of, of slavery reparations. We did it twice last week on the show. But her point is that if you challenge anything she has to say, then you are by nature challenging her identity. And that's the only way she's going to get through these primaries. Now, maybe it works. Too many Democrats have bought into this. But it is an ugly way of doing politics. And once again, it demonstrates that Kamala Harris's biggest selling point is, in fact, her identity and not actually her capacity to be a good senator or to do anything of use. This should be obvious from another answer she gave yesterday in this same interview. She was asked specifically about the cost of all of her various programs on MSNBC with Joy Reid, who, by the way, how does Joy Reid still have a show? Question. How does Joy Reid still have a show? Didn't she have like a bunch of old homophobic posts and then she pretended that she didn't write them and that she was hacked and that her website and somehow she still has a job? Probably for the same reason Ralph Northam still has a job. Anyway, Harris was making the rounds. So she was on Joy Reid. And then I guess she was also on CNN with John King. And she was asked specifically about how she was going to pay for all of her bizarro world, Medicare for all, free college for all, everything free for everybody proposals. And she gave the same answer that AOC gave, which is, well, money grows on trees and I'm the boss. Can we afford it? Of course we can afford it. Two and a half, three trillion dollars a year for Medicare for all by some studies. I don't, depending on which portions of the Green New Deal you pick to do first, that's money. Uh, that you know what the Republicans are going to say, tax and spend liberals, pie in the sky. One of the things that I admire and respect is the measurement that is captured in three letters, ROI. Mm -hmm. What's the return on the investment? People in the private sector understand this really well. It's not about a cost. It's about an investment. And then the question should be, is it worth the cost in terms of the investment potential? Are we going to get back more than we put in? Okay, if she is really suggesting that there is an ROI, a return on investment, that's the term we use in the private sector for what she is talking about. First of all, she's not investing her own dollars. She's investing my dollars and your dollars. Second of all, there is no ROI on what she is talking about. Right now, there's an ROI on the dollars that I personally spend on my health care. How do I know? Because I'm paying for it. What is the ROI on her grabbing two to three trillion dollars out of the American economy and allocating it through government resources? And whenever somebody, if somebody ever asks, you know, how much is this going to cost? They say, you know, don't worry about it. Just look at the benefits. Just look at the upside. They're selling you something. She's selling you something. And what she's selling you, it ain't great. Okay, well, we're going to discuss more on Kamala Harris+. Plus. We have to get to Venezuela, where Democrats are still struggling to condemn and the Oscars, right? We still have a lot to get to today, but you have to go check us out at dailywire.com. Also, make sure to join us tonight for Daily Wire Backstage, where we'll be talking about everyone's favorite award show. That's cynical, I hope. Daily Wire God King Jeremy Boring, me, Andrew Clavin, the execrable Michael Knowles, and Alicia Krause will be here talking culture, Hollywood, and, of course, taking your questions. As always, only Daily Wire subscribers get to ask those questions, so make sure that you go subscribe today. Also, I have some exciting news. Thanks to you, the fans, Daily Wire is currently going through a growth spurt and has several positions newly opened that we are actually looking to fill. So if you want to work here, that's a thing you can do. Head on over to dailywire.com slash jobs to check out what positions are available. See how you can become a member of the Daily Wire team. Again, that is dailywire.com slash jobs. Go check it out today. Make sure that you subscribe for $9.99 a month so you can be part of the Daily Wire backstage tonight. Also, $99 a year gets you this. The very greatest in all beverage vessels, leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler. Gaze upon it in despair that you have not won. Go check it out right now. We have all sorts of goodies coming up for you. We have Sunday specials coming up for you. We're going to be doing more in the mailbag. We have two hours in a day additionally that you're not seeing if you're not actually a member over at Daily Wire. We do that 
later in the afternoon, so I'll be back later. I spend my entire day slaving away at this job for you people, so make sure that you go subscribe right now. Dailywire.com, go check us out. We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast in the nation. So Kamala Harris, look, maybe she wins on the intersectional appeal. Maybe she does. But I don't think there's a lot there other than the intersectional appeal because other than that, she's basically just doing a warmed-over Bernie routine. Her strongest case for why she should be nominated is she says, we need someone to prosecute the case against Trump. Do you really think there's any shortage of people in the Democratic Party willing to say bad things about Trump? That's pretty much all they have in common at this point. Here's Kamala Harris, though, suggesting that she's going to prosecute Trump properly. We're going to need somebody who knows how to prosecute the case against this president. Okay, I, I just don't know why that's enough appeal. Like, as opposed to every other Democrat who wants to prosecute the case against the president? All right, then, I guess. Meanwhile, things have collapsed over in Venezuela, where it looks like open turmoil is, is the latest situation. This has not stopped some Democrats from coming out in defense of the current Venezuelan regime, or at least in lukewarm fashion, for the Venezuelan regime. There's an amazing tweet thread from Chris Murphy, who is, believe it or not, an actual United States senator from, from Connecticut. He tweeted out over the weekend, Democrats need to be careful about a potential trap being set by Trump at all in Venezuela. Okay, we can stop right there for a second. First of all, the potential trap being set by Trump, if you look at Venezuela and you think the problem is Trump, you got another thing coming. The problem in Venezuela is a socialist government run by a socialist dictator who is in fully socialist fashion murdering his people and preventing human aid from getting in. Preventing any sort of food or water from getting in through particular borders. Chris Murphy says cheering humanitarian convoys sounds like the right thing to do, but what if it's not about the aid? So now he's arguing, a full United States senator is arguing against humanitarian convoys for people who are eating dogs. Children are dying in Venezuela, and we're being told by Chris Murphy we should worry about Trump. He says, what if the real agenda is laying a pretext for war? Follow my logic for a second. First, so secret Trump has been talking up war with Maduro since 2017 when he repeatedly asked McMaster for a plan to overthrow Maduro. New McKay book confirms now Trump says all options are on the table and Rubio objects to Senate resolution that forbids war. Okay, first of all, you know who used to say all options were on the table a lot? A president named Barack Obama. He said it with regard to Iran, with whom he was secretly attempting to cut a nuclear deal, leaving Iran in control of more weaponry and more money. So that's always been part of American policy. The idea that behind the velvet glove lays an iron fist or the possibility thereof. So that's nothing new. But if you, do you really think Trump wants to go to war in Venezuela? You think that's really something Trump is up for? Chris Murphy continues, though. He says, I want aid to get to Venezuelans, but let's be honest. Venezuela didn't just lurch into humanitarian crisis. The aid is being sent there now as part of a regime change strategy. Many are hoping that it will be the match that lights a civil war against Maduro. The civil war against Maduro is already taking place, dude. There are hundreds of thousands of people in the streets. Some are being shot by the active military. They're trying to recruit the military over to their own side. I guess being a Democrat means that you're more worried about Donald Trump than you are about Nicolas Maduro. It's an amazing thing. Murphy says, Senator Rubio rushed to tweet out reports today of Maduro allies firing into Colombian territory, warning that the United States will help Colombia confront any aggression against them. Venezuela ordered Colombian diplomats out in 24 hours, ramping up the crisis. By the way, Rubio also tweeted out that two expatriate members of the Venezuelan National Assembly were poisoned in Colombia yesterday, presumably by the, by the Maduro government. Maduro is evil. Final, I, I love that this takes till tweet five. Maduro is evil. And the United States should pursue a strategy to undermine him and prompt new elections. But no one can no one can defend what he has done in Venezuela. But it's quite a different thing for the U.S. to incite a civil war with no real plan for how it ends. Sound familiar? Well, yeah, it does sound familiar. Didn't your boss do that? Didn't Barack Obama do that back during the Libyan war when some of us were saying, um, bad idea, dude? And he did it repeatedly during the Arab Spring when some of us were saying, bad idea. 
Murphy concludes, finally, perhaps most importantly, go look up the 1947 Rio Treaty. It's a Western Hemisphere mutual defense treaty and may not require a war declaration if Trump is legitimately coming to the defense of Colombia. Don't think the Venezuela hawks don't know this. Again, Donald Trump does not want to go to war in Venezuela. He does not want to be expending American blood and treasure in Venezuela. But we are going to support the Venezuelan people every way short of war if we can. And we'll support Colombia with presumably military aid if they need it against the Venezuelan government. If you're a Democrat and your chief worry today is about America's war and, and about Trump and how volatile he is and not the fact that Maduro is doing all this stuff. Again, there's been no indicator from the Trump administration they're interested in going to war. None. None. And, and once again, administrations signal routinely, every single one, Democrat and Republican, they are always signaling that they are willing to go to the ultimate if they have to. But there's been no indicator that Trump actually wants to do that. And it's amazing to watch Democrats come out of the woodwork to try and defend Maduro in effect, even as they pretend that they really don't like Maduro very much. Okay, meanwhile, the Oscars took place last night, and it was exactly what you would think it was. It was a, it was a liberal, self-pleasuring fest. It was ridiculous in, in every possible way. First of all, nobody had seen any of these movies except for Bohemian Rhapsody uh, and Black Panther. So two of the movies people saw, Bohemian Rhapsody won a bunch of awards, including for Best Film Editing, which is just... I mean, as I said early on the show, solid prank, everyone. For those who actually saw Bohemian Rhapsody or clips from Bohemian Rhapsody, essentially the way that that film was edited is that they had several cameras running on the same scene. And then they had a monkey with a toggle switch who just toggled between reaction shots that meant nothing. It's one of the worst edited films of all time and it won Best Film Editing because guess what? People in Hollywood don't know anything about movies or at least quality of movies. In any case, the Oscars are always a back padding fest. And it's, there's always a, a large helping of irony when the folks who are most concerned about income inequality and who are cheering Bernie Sanders and Kamala Harris walk in with $30 million diamonds around their neck. I'm not kidding. Lady Gaga wore a $30 million, what, 128 karat diamonds to the Oscars last night? She cares about the people, guys. She's really in touch with the people. I always find it amazing how AOC finds time to rip on Jeff Bezos, who has created legitimately hundreds of thousands of jobs, but never finds any time at all to go after, you know, some of the some of the major celebrities who are walking around wearing ten thousand dollar gowns they will they will wear once and then discard on the charity pile. It's pretty incredible. The most celebrated gown of the evening, by the way, was worn by somebody named Billy Porter. I don't know who the hell Billy Porter is. Have you have, had any guys ever heard of Billy Porter? I, I'd never heard of this guy. So this was just an attention gathering thing. So this this guy walks onto the onto the red carpet wearing a tuxedo gown like a full-on ballroom gown with a, it essentially looks like a hoop skirt with like a trail. And people are like, oh, so brave, brave and stunning, stunning and brave, bravery stuns a lot. It's just like Normandy, the bravery. Oh, magnificent. Now, forgive me, but dudes wearing gowns on a, on, on a carpet, on a red carpet, eh? I, maybe I missed it. Like maybe I'm missing the, the great joy that is to be had from dudes wearing gowns on a red carpet. But honestly, I actually think it's an actual issue for the country. <laughs> Not because I think it's very important. I don't think it's very important. But I do think that the attempt by the media to conflate male with female and to pretend that males acting in stereotypically female ways does not have any impact on children and that gender confusion is actually a good thing and that all of this is merely 
a, uh, that all gender distinctions in dress and in manner and in behavior and in what they wear, that all of these are simply social constructs of no serious import. If that's true, then you're going to have to explain why virtually every culture in the history of the planet has had separate dress for men and women. Very few cultures, men and women dress, dress identically because men and women are different. And the attempt to say, oh, well, it's so brave that here's this guy who's willing to dress like a woman. Question, why is it cultural appropriation when a white chick wears a kimono, but it is not cultural appropriation when a black male wears a stereotypically female dress, in historically female dress? There is no answer to this because it makes no sense. Of course, this was, of course, not the only silly thing that happened at the Oscars. There was lots of silliness at the Oscars. So at the very beginning, President Trump got mocked over the wall. Now, I will note, there were a couple of names that were not mentioned in the entire Oscars telecast, so far as I know. One of the names was Brian Singer, the director of Bohemian Rhapsody. It was amazing. It won Oscar after Oscar in a bunch of categories the director is kind of responsible for. Not one person thanked Brian Singer because he's under suspicion of having statutorily raped underage boys. So nobody was willing to mention Brian Singer. So that's one name that didn't get mentioned. The other name that didn't even get joked about is Jussie Smollett. It's only the leading story in America, and it's about an actor in Hollywood faking a hoax crime, faking a hate crime. Not one mention at the Oscars last night, but plenty of mentions of Trump because brave, stunning, stunning, brave, brave McStuns, stunning McBravery. If you think that it is brave for people in Hollywood to get up in front of other people in Hollywood and make jokes about Donald Trump, let me introduce you to like anyone who is brave on planet Earth because any one of those people is braver than what just happened last night. So here are all these women dumping like legitimate bad jokes. Forget about going after Trump. Every president can be made fun of except Obama. We don't make fun of him. But all the other presidents we can make fun of. And that's fine. I'm just wondering why this is a funny joke. So here are the, the leading women of Hollywood. This is Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and I can never, uh, and Maya Rudolph, thank you, uh, making jokes about Trump. So just a quick update for everybody in case you're confused. There is no host tonight. There won't be a popular movie category and Mexico is not paying for the wall. <laughs> What? Why is that a joke? How, how is that even close to a joke? It's just she, she could have made the same joke this way. She could have said, just a quick update in case you're confused. There is no host tonight. There won't be a popular movie category. And we all hate Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> ah, so much, so much talent in that room. My goodness. Then Javier Bardem got up and condemned borders and walls. He did this in Spanish so that nobody in America who doesn't speak Spanish could understand him. Here he was doing that last night. Because there are no borders or walls that can restrain ingenuity and talent. And Trump's like, wait until you see mine. He said, in any region of any country, of any continent, there are always great stories that move us. Okay. And tonight we celebrate the excellence and importance of the cultures and languages of different countries. This is the best foreign language category. That's fine. That's all fine. But I love these. There are no borders and walls can restrain ingenuity and talent. How about this alligator mode? Check this, check this out. It's like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Unbelievable. It, it's so tiring, honestly. It's so tiring. And it's tiresome. More than tiring, it's tiresome. And then Chef Jose Andres gets up and he says, we owe compassion to the invisible people. The invisible people like immigrants. Immigrants are not invisible in the United States. We all know many of them. My wife is an immigrant. Like, just stop. Just stop. You're boring. In Roma... Alfonso Cuaron presents an honest and vital portrait of the Mexico City of his childhood. A place full of contrast and contradictions. But love is where everyone meets. And this beautiful, intimate film 
one that gives a voice to the voiceless, reminds us of the understanding and compassion that we all owe to the invisible people in our lives, immigrants and okay. women. I, I just, I just have to. Who move humanity forward? Okay, I just have to point out right here. Roma is so boring. Yeah, I know, I know. It's not really on topic. I mean, it is a little. They mentioned Roma. Roma is death on wheels. Yeah, I watched the first 25 minutes, and I thought to myself, there was a four-minute establishing shot of water running over cobblestones. Stop it. Just stop. Uh, so the Oscars did what the Oscars do, and they do the same thing every year, and they are always equally irritating. People are always like, why are you irritated by the Oscars? Well, because you put out a program that's supposed to be the best of one of America's seminal domestic industries, and all you can come up with is the latest PC films that nobody saw and then make fun of whatever Republicans happen to be in office while feeding whatever Democrats happen to be in office. You want to do something, honestly, if the Oscars want to do something different, they should have a Republican host them. Then it would actually be entertaining and fun, like roast Hollywood. That's a, by the way, they used to do this. Like even Bob Hope, when he was hosting the Oscars for years and years and years, he would always start off by roasting Hollywood because we all love Hollywood. We all like going to the movies, but these people deserve to be roasted a little bit, don't they? Don't they? Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So things that I like today. Over the weekend, I was reading a book by Michael Denton, who is in fact a biologist called Evolution Still a Theory in Crisis. The the book does not suggest that evolution does not take place, of course. The book is basically about how microevolution takes place. But he makes the point that the notion that natural selection combined with genetic mutation, the idea that this has provided for all change in human history, and that macroevolution, meaning the jump from species to species, that that is simply a result of natural selective pressure combined with mutations, there's just not enough evidence for that. So macroevolution and microevolution might actually run along different lines. And You'd be surprised to learn how many major biologists and scientists agree with him. People, including folks like Stephen Jay Gould, the, the notion that evolution is a continuous, slow process of incremental change and that that has taken us from species to species, that's not really accurate, just biologically speaking. There's evolution within species, there's evolution over time, but the notion that you can move from one to the other without some sort of different factor making the change happen as opposed to just random natural selection, natural selection and random mutation. That's essentially what the book is about. It's, it's highly technical. There's a lot in there that's technical, but the book is well worth the read. Michael Denton's Evolution, Still a Theory in Crisis. Okay, time for some things that I hate. Okay, so thing that I hate, number one. So Nike ran a commercial last night and everybody was fawning over this commercial. Oh, look at this commercial. It's all about how women are victimized in our society. Number one, there are some women who are victimized in our society. You know who they aren't? Prominent athletes. Prominent female athletes in our society are not victims. They're earning millions and millions of dollars to play a sport. That's silly. Also, if we're going to talk about people who are victimized in our society, women are not high on the list. Women are now living freer, better lives than any people ever on planet Earth in history at any time. This is, this, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous contention. In the same way it's ridiculous when AOC says we're all moments away from death, it is ridiculous when Nike contends that women are sorely put upon in the United States. It is simple pandering. People like to be told that they are a victim of American society. Most people in the United States are not victims of American society. Listen to this, this silly Nike commercial. When we stand for something, we're unhinged. No. When we're too good, there's something wrong with us. And okay. if we get angry... We're hysterical. Okay, can we pause it for a second? Okay, when they say when we when we are when we stand for something, then we are unhinged. Really, 
Margaret Thatcher, did people call her unhinged for standing for something? Did Condi Rice, did people call her unhinged for standing for something? Women in your life, when they stand strong for something worthwhile, do we call them unhinged? No, we don't. And then they say, when we, when we outperform, then there's something wrong with us. And they show a picture of a woman named Semenya. Semenya actually has a genetic disorder, which means that she, as a child and as an adult, has received essentially male levels of testosterone throughout her life. And that means that she's been able to outcompete other women on the basis of this. It was an actual Olympic controversy. So let's not pretend that there was no genetic abnormality with Semenya. There was a genetic abnormality with Semenya, which is why she was dominating women in competition. And we say when we get angry, then we're, then we're considered hysterical. Well, no, women get angry on a fairly regular basis and are not considered hysterical. When you're hysterical, we consider you hysterical. Just like when men are hysterical, we consider them, them hysterical. Like, what? what? This, this whole, like, women are so put upon, but they can overcome by this crappy sneaker made by child slaves in Bangladesh. <laughs> okay, I'm not making actual formal allegations that they use child slavery in Bangladesh. It's just a rumor, guys. One of our producers, Austin, said that Nike really should change their slogan, not to just do it, but not all of, not all of our shoes explode, which seems about right after what happened uh, in the Duke, North Carolina basketball game. Anyway, the rest of this commercial is similarly silly. Or just being crazy. But a woman running a marathon was crazy. Officials tried no. to pull her off the course. A woman competing in a hit job, changing her sport, landing a double cork 1080, or winning 23 grand slams, having a baby, and then coming back for more? Crazy, 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 and crazy. Okay, can we stop it there for a second? Literally no one said that it was crazy for Serena Williams to compete coming back from a child. No, not a human. Literally no one said it was crazy for her to win 23 grand slams, except that it's crazy in the sense that she's amazing at what she does. She's the narrator of this commercial, by the way. Literally no one says that it is crazy for Simone Biles to compete or for a woman to compete in a hijab or for a woman to change sports or for a woman to flip twice on a snowboard or something. No one says that. What are they talking about? I like they just shifted the notion of crazy. So crazy... As in like the colloquial sense, well, wow, that's wild that that per- that's incredible the person did that, has now been shifted to be the same thing as they, they were doubted. Who doubted Serena Williams? Serena Williams has been the most dominant player in women's tennis for two decades. Who doubted Simone Biles? Every, anybody who saw her knew what kind of talent she had. This is just, it's just asinine. And it's this sort of, and, and then what's even more kind of saccharine and sickening is all the men on Twitter like, oh, what a beautiful commercial. Oh, what an incredible commercial. Listen, guys, I know that you want the ladies to think that you love, that you're, that you're sensitive and kind, but come on, come on. It's a silly commercial. It's a silly commercial. We all want women to be strong. We all want women to be independent. We all want women to be free. We all want the same things for women. Who is this mysterious other who's telling women, you can't play tennis. You can't compete in a heat. Like, who's doing this? I hate the creation of false enemies simply so that you can declare yourself the hero. Which, in fact, may be the theme of the show, right? I mean, that's what AOC does with global warming. And that's what Serena Williams and Nike are doing with this ad. There's a group of nefarious men living in the shadows telling Serena Williams she can't play tennis anymore. Who are they? They don't exist. But if they did, they would be telling you not to buy Nikes. So buy Nikes. Just do it. What absolute silliness. Okay, final thing that I hate today. Bill Maher said a very, very silly thing over the weekend. It is amazing how people in blue states like to pretend, very often, blue state folks, they like to pretend that they are all for people in red states, the downtrodden, they are for people who earn less economically, for lower income. There's an enormous amount of scorn for people in red states from blue states. 
People in red states tend not to think. I, I've been in a lot of red states. I've spent a lot of time there. People in red states do not spend a lot of time thinking about people in blue states. They really don't. Like people in Texas don't care about California. They just don't want California coming to Texas. People in uh, people in Indiana don't spend a lot of time thinking about New York. They really don't. Like they have their own lives. They have the, they have their own things that they're doing. Folks in Tennessee not worried about what's happening in Massachusetts. People in Massachusetts are deeply worried about what's happening in Tennessee. People in California are deeply worried about what's happening in Texas. They are deeply concerned about all of the evil people in Texas doing what they want to do. And they have to somehow justify to themselves why it is that they're paying twice what other people pay for living where they live and why it is that people in Texas seem pretty happy without any of the government restrictions or social values that folks on the left want them to have. And so you end up with this Bill Maher here saying that red states are jealous of blue states. The truth is the other way around. People in blue states are very, are very often jealous of people in red states because people in red states don't think about people in blue states all that much. Here's Bill Maher, though, just sneering at people in, in red states. There are two Americas, and it seems like one is where all the cool jobs are, where people drive Teslas and eat artisanal ice cream. We have orchestras and theater districts and world-class shopping. We have chef Wolfgang Puck. They have Chef Boyardee. <laughs> wow. wow. Okay, first of all, you know what else we have in L.A.? Like, I'm from the same city as Bill Maher. You know what else we have? 70,000 homeless people on the streets, needles in the open, people crapping on street corners, speed bumps everywhere, pornography billboards all around our schools. Like, there are some problems. There are some problems. Like, don't get me wrong. I like L.A. I've lived my entire life in L.A. But to pretend that all the good things are... Ha you really think that, like, Nashville doesn't have any symphony orchestra? You really think Dallas doesn't have a symphony orchestra? You think there's no theater in Dallas? Yeah, he's living in a, uh, really, the people on the coast are living under rocks. They're, they're, they're living in their own bubbles and they've created a picture of the rest of America that simply is not true. Also worth noting, really nasty to, to Chef Boyardee. The truth is that Chef Boyardee was founded by an Italian immigrant in Ohio in 1928. So I guess it's red state America. His name was Ettore Boyardee. In 1924, he opened his first restaurant in Cleveland and people started asking him about his spaghetti sauce. And then he opened a factory and moved production to Milton, Pennsylvania. The U.S. military commissioned the company during World War II for the production of army rations. So if you want to rip on Chef Boyardee, go for it, man. You, you want to rip on a, a great American company founded by an immigrant? All you. You do you, blue states. All righty. We will be back here a little bit later, two more hours of The Ben Shapiro Show later today. So go subscribe over at Daily Wire. Otherwise, we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey, everybody. It's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Has anyone but me noticed that all the movies that got nominated for Oscars were about old stuff that either took place in the 70s or the 60s, or they were remakes of films made way, way before that. That's because the left has nothing new to say. We'll take a look at it on The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free 
should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. <laughs> 